Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, it's really good to be back with you after two weeks gone. And, and uh, I'm thinking since I came to Christ in 1975, I, don't, I probably never missed an Easter service. And I missed this year. Well, the Tuesday of the week before Easter, we actually back up one more day, the Monday the week before Easter, Glenda and I went out and we did an 11-mile hike in the woods and all was well. And on Tuesday, by Tuesday evening, I was going, <coughs> and my nose was bothering me a little bit. And I, and I said, oh man, allergies are coming. You know how that happens, there's allergies this time of year sometimes. And on Wednesday, it was still there and I felt kind of, I felt out of sorts. Do you know what I mean when you say you feel out of sorts? Things are out of kilter. Something just wasn't right. And then by Thursday, I was really, really pretty sick. And, but I was saying, that's all right. I, and I, I think I tested. Did I test that night? I think I did. That's right. And I was positive. So I went and hid in the back room from then on. But uh, I was I'm still going to preach on Easter remotely up there. And I was talked out of that. <laughs> and then on... Uh, by Friday morning, I got I said, I, I realized that I was like this, you know, that I had no confidence that I would even be able to talk by Easter morning. Turned out I, I, I was able to, but the point is, it all started with that feeling of just something wasn't, things weren't right. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever feel that way? Well, sometimes life gets like that. Uh, sometimes life starts to feel out of sorts. You know, things just aren't jiving. The, the things that seem like you ought to all work together and go somewhere aren't. It's like feeling like things are disjointed and, and just kind of out of whack and you can't really put your finger on it, but you know it. Life is out of sorts and what's going on? It's kind of like uh, puzzles. My wife loves to do puzzles and, and I love to say I help, uh, which isn't a lot. <laughs> If I can get one piece in a day, I did good, I helped. But it's like a puzzle, and I, I don't remember if, it was, if she was involved in this or me and grandkids or whatever, but one day we put a puzzle in, and where do you start with the puzzle usually, most people? With the edge, you find all the edges and put all the edges together, and we did that, and I'm looking at it, and we're trying to put, it's, wait a minute, wait a minute, something's wrong here because this edge is shorter than this edge, and yet it seems like it's all fitting together, but now it's, it's out of kilter, it's not working, it's out of sorts. And then finally, I remember looking down, up, oh, there it is, down under the table, there's a piece missing, it's an edge piece, and you pick it up now, and say, where does it go, and you, you try, where did... Where did we push it together when it really didn't quite fit, you know, and, and, and fix it? And once you get that, oh, you get that lined up, now all of a sudden everything else fits. Everything else goes in place. And, and what we want to talk about today is, is how do we deal with this in our lives? Because sometimes in our life that's exactly what's going on. Things are not, they're out of whack and they just, things aren't, the things that we think should satisfy us don't. We think the things that should be positive aren't. And, and, and it's just like something isn't right, something's missing, and, and it may very well be in your life that there is a piece that's missing, that if you can get that one in place, everything else will start to come into alignment where it's supposed to be. 
And so I want to talk to you about that today. And we need to start with um, the foundations of our faith. Now, uh, Christianity is the uh, largest religion in the world, uh, some 2.4 billion adherents. Now, that doesn't prove it's right, uh, right? Just because there's a lot of people who believe it. There's a lot of people who believe lots of things. But the reality about Christianity, the kind of religion it is, because Christianity does not make converts by force, at least not when it's being practiced the way God intends for it to. It doesn't make it by force. People are free to choose. In fact, God has made them that way. Other religions, that's not so much the case. You are forced to you know, convert or practice or whatever. Uh, but so Christianity, um, if it was just a philosophy... If it was just a moral code, if it was just that kind of thing, it never would have become what it is today. It would have faded away, it would have disappeared because it was highly persecuted, it wouldn't have survived. But what makes it, made it survive was the person of Jesus Christ. And specifically what he did. What he claimed and then what he did. Jesus said, you know, they ask him, what sign do you give us? You're telling us all this stuff. What's your authority for this? And he says, well, here's my authority. Here's the, the sign that I'm going to give you is I am going to die. I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm rising from the dead. Now, we hear this in a context of a Christian culture, right? I mean, friendly to Christianity. Uh, that idea isn't new to us. But I want you to think about this. If we had never heard of anybody rising from the dead and, and someone's telling you, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. Now, yeah, well, actually, I'm going to probably talk about this a little more in a, in a minute. But the idea is you, you aren't going to understand that because you say that doesn't really make sense to me. He must mean something else. He must mean something else by that. And we see this exactly what the disciples did. They, time after time after time, he told them and they'd go, hmm, okay, we don't quite figure that one out yet because people don't rise from the dead, right? But Jesus said, this is going to be the sign that I am who I say I am, that I'm doing what I said I'm going to do. I will rise from the dead. And he did. And he did. Now, the record that we have of that, you might say, well, that's all in the Bible, and the Bible might be uh, biased, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But what I want you to know is that there are a number of references to the person of Jesus and the things that he was known to have done in secular history, outside of the Bible, Okay, let me just share with you a few of these things. These are things, and, and, and this comes from uh, J. Warner Wallace, who does cold case Christianity. He's, he was a policeman who um, works cold cases and still is, I think, for the Los Angeles Police Department. And so he evaluates evidence. And so he started off as an atheist, and he began looking at the evidence and, and arrived at the conclusion that, wow, this has to be true. 
and that Jesus is who he said he was, he did what he said he would do. But his, so he talks about hostile witnesses to Jesus outside of the Bible. In other words, people who, they were not for Jesus. They were not for Christianity. They're reporting what they have heard, okay? What events that went on. And so here are nine major areas that we have witnesses to Jesus outside of the Bible. And here's what we learn. If we just take just that information, if you didn't have the Bible, here's what you could learn. Jesus was born and lived in Palestine. He was born supposedly to a virgin and had an earthly father who was a carpenter. Okay, so secular history records that this is what was believed. He was a teacher who taught that through repentance and belief, all followers would become brothers and sisters. And he led the Jews away from their beliefs. He was a wise man who claimed to be God and the Messiah. He had unusual magical powers and performed miraculous deeds. He healed the lame and he accurately predicted the future. He was persecuted by the Jews for what he said, betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judah Iscariot. He was beaten with rods, forced to drink vinegar, wear a crown of thorns. He was crucified on the eve of the Passover and this crucifixion occurred under the direction of Pontius Pilate during the time of Tiberius. So all of this stuff is recorded in secular history. On the day of his crucifixion, the sky grew dark and there was an earthquake. Afterward, he was buried in a tomb and the tomb was later found to be empty. He appeared to his disciples, resurrected from the grave and showed them his wounds. And these disciples then told others that Jesus was resurrected and sent into heaven. The disciples believed that he was risen from the dead. And his disciples and followers upheld a high moral code. And, and another one of his disciples was named Matthew. The disciples met regularly to worship Jesus even after his death. And the disciples were also persecuted for their faith. But this is important to know. They were martyred without changing their stories. Without changing their claims. And so that's from outside of the Bible. Um, and it is the changed lives of those disciples that is so powerful because before this, you know, they were fearful. Uh, let me see here. Yes, yeah, so the disciples are a great example of why we can believe in the biblical accounts of the resurrection because by their own record, talking about themselves, they, they uh, recorded that they were often very self-centered they were worried about who was going to be on top, who was going to have the most authority and power, who was closest to Jesus. They argued about those kinds of things. Like I said, they didn't understand what he was saying about his death and resurrection. And when it came time and Jesus is taken captive and he is, he is beaten and then crucified, you can't find one of these disciples except for Peter. They have gone into hiding. Why? Because what did they, they didn't know if they were next, did they? Right? They were followers of Jesus, and this is what they're doing to Jesus. And how can this be? He was, you know, all their beliefs are shattered, and they can't be. And so they are in hiding. They are fearful. Jewish leaders, Roman leaders, they're hiding from all of them. Peter did try to be bold and go along and follow, but he ended up getting intimidated by a young servant girl who wanted to ask him some questions. And he denied the Lord and took off. <clears throat> And then, then this happened. Let's take our Bibles and go to the Gospel of John. 
John chapter 20. It's page 1250 in the Bible that's there in the chairs, and we encourage you to follow along with us if you don't have your own Bible with you. John chapter 20. In this chapter is where we have the recording of the fact that uh, uh, Jesus had risen from the dead because the women went to the tomb because they wanted to give Jesus the proper burial. They didn't know how they were going to get in the tomb because of the huge rock. But they get there, the rock is already rolled away, and they go in there, and Jesus is gone. His grave clothes are there, but he is gone. Okay? They call the disciples, and disciples come. Peter and John, they come, and they look inside, and they see this for themselves. And they still don't quite know what to make of this. They leave, and then Mary meets Jesus. Mary Magdalene, uh, the Lord appeared to her and he was there and he talked with her. And so she ran and tells the disciples and they still aren't sure what to make of this. And then on uh, that very night, he appears to them in the upper room where they had been meeting and he appears to them and, and now they have seen him for themselves. He really is risen. Can you imagine how that would have felt? Wow. I mean, I think about it in my own life, you know, people who I've been very close to who have died, and it's been heart-wrenching, and, you know, it's just hard to believe they're gone. What if all of a sudden, three days later, they showed up and said, I'm alive? Whoa, that'd be hard to get my head around, but that'd be good news, wouldn't it? Well, here it is for the disciples. They have seen him, all except one of them. So let's read this story here. Starting in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, called the twin, so he had a twin brother, I guess. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Oh, I just thought this is a preacher thing to think about. He missed church, and so he didn't see Jesus. (laughs) You guys need to show up. You guys out there need to show up because you never know. Okay, anyway. So he was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Okay. Right. (laughs) We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I know you guys believe it, but I think you might be confused. I'm not going to believe it until I see it and verify it for myself. Verse 26, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. So Jesus shows up again and it's it's, it's supernatural. He, he, He isn't held back by the locked doors. He comes in. It says, peace to you, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now let me tell you what really encouraged me about this is that Jesus does, isn't rebuking Thomas. He isn't rebuking him. He understands you don't believe. He understands Thomas wants evidence. And I would say to you that that is one of the things that makes Christianity distinct. And that is that there is, we're not asked to believe uh, in um, something that can't be verified. 
We're not asking to, to, to believe and give our lives for some philosophy of some teacher. Jesus said, this is how you will know. I will rise. And we can verify it using just regular tests of history that he actually rose from the dead. And that is what we have for, to base our faith on. This is important. So he says to Thomas, okay, come on, here I am. Here's the evidence. Now you can believe. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. That's a good thing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? Who is that? It's us, isn't it? Blessed people like us. Special blessing we have. We have reason to believe, but we have not seen. Verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's the gospel. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came because we needed a savior, because we've all sinned against the holy God. We've all done things we know we shouldn't do, haven't we? We've all not done things we know we should do. Sometimes we've done things for the right things for the wrong reasons because we're worried about how people see us, right? I mean, we're a mess if we're really honest. Now, if you want to compare yourself to somebody else, you can always find somebody who's worse than you, right? Well, the problem is you probably find somebody who might be better than you too. So it's not about how we compare to other people. It's about the fact that God says this is what is right, this is what is wrong, and we have sinned against him. And our sins have separated us from him. If we die in that condition, we're separated from him forever in hell. So he loved the world enough to send Jesus, his son. God the son comes in human form and lives a perfect and sinless life. He never sins, doesn't have any sins of his own. He goes to the cross, and as he hangs on the cross, God the Father, somehow, however this works, Jesus paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. All the sins I've ever committed, including the ones this week, all the sins I ever will commit, all of your sins, the sins of the whole world, Jesus died making a sufficient payment for that guilt. And rose again from the dead to to verify this, that he is who he said he was and he did what he said he was going to do. And, And the offer to us is if we will be honest with ourselves and with God and say, yes, I have sinned against the holy God, and that's a problem, but I believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is. I believe he did what the Bible says he did, that he died for my sins and rose again. And by faith. What's it say here? Verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so we believe. We put our faith and our trust in him to take care of that sin problem for us. We receive him as Savior. And the moment we do, every sin is forgiven. Heaven is our, our eternal destiny with the Lord, and God himself moves into us. And gives us a new nature deep down inside that's, that wants to work its way out in our lives. And he, he works and helps us to, to get to that place. And so that's the gospel. But I, what I want you to see, 
I mean, obviously, I guess first and foremost, we would say that when life is out of sorts, I guess you, and this wasn't what I was thinking to talk to you about today, but do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Have you settled that issue once and for all in your life, received Christ as Savior? And if you haven't, you can't expect life to be where God intends for it to be, much less your eternal destiny. But as we talk about, there's something else I want you to see here, that this fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he appears to Thomas' disciples, I want you to see what Thomas's response was here. Again, verse 28, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. He was absolutely convinced that Jesus was risen, wasn't he? Now, we live in a day and age, and in, in our popular culture, you know, it's, it's, um, it's okay to be spiritual. Just don't talk about Jesus, right? We live in a day when it's, it's, it's popular to say, well, yeah, I don't, I don't really believe all that stuff the Bible says about Jesus, but he was a great teacher. He was a moral man and a great example to us. Well, I just want to talk about that for a little bit here today, and, and I'm going to do something kind of unusual here. I'm going to quote one of our church members, one of the people who attend here regularly. Evan Plant over here has a ministry online called Mainsail Ministries, and he wrote about this issue. So let's look and see what it says. And he deals with it really well. Jesus said of himself that he was the prophesied son of man, the Messiah, the son of God. All of these claims, right, that we talked about that Jesus made. Dodging those claims is simply unscholarly. They must be addressed. And by the way, who gave us these claims? The disciples, the apostles, who were scared to death and in hiding and who became so bold and their entire life was changed because they, they were convinced Jesus rose from the dead and so they wrote about it. And so they wrote these things, wrote what he said. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. One of the three. So that's what, you get that, right? He said he was the Lord, didn't he? He said, I'm the Son of God. I'm the promised Messiah. I'm the Lord. He said that. And if it isn't true, what was going on? Well, either he was lying about it then, and he knew he wasn't, or he really thought he was, and he was crazy. I mean, let me ask you. If you go out here today, and you go someplace this afternoon, and you get to carry on a conversation with someone, like Bill was talking to me today about someone he got a conversation with and wanted to be a witness to, and what the person said, oh, no, no, I'm all set. I'm God. And you listen to him, and you become, realize that he's convinced, <laughs> or she's convinced. What would you say? This person's loony. He's a lunatic, right? Crazy person. And so when Jesus makes these claims, he either has to be who he said he was, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Now, here's, this is why we can't go where culture wants to go with Jesus. Okay, we chose choose door number three, that he's the Lord, right? But people spend a lot of time implying that a door number four exists. 
There's another way to see Jesus, and it's, you don't have to deal with that, but it's not true. And as Evan says, behind that door is what? Hell. That's where that leads people. Let's continue. He says, you see, there's no valid historical Jesus who did not make these claims. You can't say Jesus existed. We already talked about the external, you know, uh, things we can learn about Jesus outside of the Bible. You can't say he existed without dealing with these claims. There's no valid historical Jesus who did not make these claims. As such, representing him as a great teacher or a great moral person only is a lie. It's just not true. Jesus is who he said he was. Romans chapter 1 says that he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. Okay? This is how we know that he is who he said he was. He really, really rose from the dead. This isn't just some belief that we have and hold out there in suspension somewhere. This is historical fact. He really, really rose from the dead. And that historical fact gives us reason to believe and put our faith in, in all of the other things that goes along with this. As I said, we do not follow a philosopher, although his words have philosophical import. We do not follow a moral teacher, although certainly there's a morality that goes along with being a Christian. We follow the one who claimed that he was going to rise from the dead and it was going to prove who he was, and he did it. So don't let people convince you otherwise. When you hear the, the doubters, see it for what it is. It's mistaken. At best, it's mistaken. At worst, it's willful. So Jesus' resurrection, and here's what I want you to see. Jesus' resurrection puts us in a position that requires us to make a huge decision. Think about Thomas. So here's Thomas. He's not there, right? I get it. And by the way, what, how do we know Thomas? What do we call him? Doubting Thomas. That's just hardly fair. The other disciples were all very much doubting until they saw him themselves, right? But, so, but here's Thomas, and, and he... He, all of a sudden, he is confronted with the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead like he said. That means that Jesus is who he really said he was. And what was Thomas's response? He bows. It says he worshiped. This means he bowed down before him and said, my Lord and my God. And I think that we, you know, we, we can kind of get the idea he's my God because that, you know, we've learned that for so long. But what I want to talk to you about today, that this, this piece of puzzle in life that when it's not in place, life gets out of sorts and isn't what we really, really want us to be. So let's, let's talk first about Thomas's response, what's he say? My Lord and my God. Resurrected, Jesus is risen. So he is, go ahead, go there if you would. My Lord and my God. The Apostle Paul, who started off, his, his name was Saul. He hated Christianity. He persecuted, he had people put in jail, beaten, killed. And he was on his way to Damascus to do more of that. And on the way, Jesus stopped him, really knocked him flat on the ground and appeared to him. Instead, here's what you're doing. Why are you opposing me? Let me ask you, you think if God showed up 
in your presence and wanted you to know he's there, you'd know it's him. Yeah, okay. So Saul says this. He says, Lord. What do you call him? Lord. What do you want me to do? He's confronted with the risen Jesus, the real Jesus, and his response, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, this is not a guaranteed response because Paul, later preaching to the religious leaders and philosophers in Athens, says to them, he he says, listen, uh, here's the truth, and he starts talking about Jesus, and he says, God has overlooked all of this stuff, but now he's commanding everyone to repent, and he's he's going to judge you by this man, and he's given proof to you of this because he raised him from the dead. And it says this, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And so it's not just a given that you make the right decision when confronted with this truth that Jesus is risen. Now, if we read on in that passage, we'd see, but there were some that did believe, thankfully. So <clears throat> when, when we come to grips with that Jesus is who he says he was and he rose from the dead, we, we have to make a decision about it. And I already talked about the decision to receive Christ as Savior. But I want to talk to you about the decision is, is he Lord or not? And we know the fact, if you guys came in today and I said, we have a quiz, one question doctrinal quiz today. True or false, Jesus is Lord. What do you say? See, we're going to pass that one, right? We're going to pass that one. But if I were to ask you, ask myself, this past week, since the last time we saw each other, have you lived like Jesus is Lord? I mean, this idea of Lord means that he is the one who's over all. He's the one who gets to say what's right and wrong. He's the one who gets to say, this is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. This is the way you should do it, and this is not the way you should do it. And that your heart, you need to keep working. He's the Lord. And so another meaning of that word Lord includes the idea that he is the owner, the possessor. It all belongs to him. Who gets to decide the way things ought to be? The risen one, right? The risen Lord. And so you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? Now, you've got to settle this then, okay? This is, you've got to settle. Jesus is Lord. You have to settle that truth. You have to surrender to it. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. You have to make a decision. And you will. In fact, you already have if you already know about it. And we make decisions moment by moment. You know, you can't make up your own version of Jesus. You can't make up your own. I mean, you can, but it's not true. You know, you know maybe you've said this in your, to yourself or others, you know, have said, well, to me, God is this. Well, that's nice. <laughs> the Bible says otherwise. Jesus said otherwise. See what I'm saying? We, we have to make a decision about this. And we have to get it right or everything else will be wrong. Because if Jesus is, he is Lord. 
if you and I are not living like Jesus is Lord, if we're making our own you know, determinations of what's right and wrong, and we're calling the shots, and we just aren't really, we aren't trying to be bad people, we just aren't really thinking about that too much, we're just doing whatever kind of makes sense to us at the moment, instead of saying, wait a minute, Jesus is Lord. Doesn't work. Life will be out of sorts, especially if you're a Christian. It isn't going to fit together right. It isn't going to. And so we have to make a decision about this issue. Um, you know, there is, there is no Christian life acceptable to God that does not increasingly live out the lordship of Jesus. So think about it. Let me say that again. There is no Christian life that's acceptable to God that isn't progressively more and more living out the truth that Jesus is Lord. If you're not living that way, if, and, and I would say to you, I find myself times where it's, you know, it's been a day, uh, two days, a week maybe, or a month, and I'm like, I realize I haven't really been focusing on this. I haven't been doing terrible things, but you know what? I haven't been, had this conscious awareness. Jesus, your Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? I just do what I do. Anybody else besides me ever just do what you do? And, but we're called to something higher than that. We're called to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and then begin to actually let that govern our lives. You know, if you believe Jesus is Lord, you aren't going to want to face a day without getting with him in his word and having a conversation with him and listening to him from his word. Because he's Lord. It matters. And so what you need to do, I need to do, you need to make, first of all, a once-for-always decision that he is Lord. I'm settling it right now. I'm settling it today. I told you the story before, but for me, I remember very, very clearly I was at my parents' house. I was living there at the time. The sun was just coming up over the lake that we lived at, and I was with my Bible, I was talking to God, and it just hit me, it became so clear. And that's when I said, okay, Lord. And I didn't have this, quite this consciousness that we're talking about here today, but I said, okay, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it, wherever you want me to do it, however you want me to do it, with whomever you want me to do it, I will do it, I surrender to you here. And then how do you think I live my life? I messed it all up. <laughs> I mean, I've made plenty of bad decisions since then. But I want you to know that in the depths of my heart, I settled that issue. And here's the thing. Jesus holds me to it. And when I start to stray, he comes after me and works in my life to draw me back and help me to see so it's not about getting it perfect, but you do need to say, I mean, if, if you're here today and you say, well, I can't make a decision because I don't think I'll live it out. I, I won't be able to live it out. Well, I got, that's not, that's old news. You won't be able to live it out. But you need to settle it anyway and start there. Okay. And then what you, so then you try to live it. And then you find from time to time that you need to reaffirm that decision in your life. It comes back to you again. Yes, Lord. Yes. Okay. Yes, Lord. That's what I want. And yes, you are Lord. And then there's those, you know, the day by day, moment by moment, ongoing application of Jesus is Lord. And, and 
You know, what are the practical implications of Jesus being Lord in our lives? You know, if you're saying Jesus is Lord, what is the practical implications of that? So you think in your work, is your boss your Lord? Ooh, trick question, maybe. Not really. If you have a, a, a job that you can do in good conscience and that's your job, your boss is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And so why do you do what the boss says? Because I'll lose my job. No. You do what the boss says because guess what the word says? What the Lord says in his word? You do what the boss says. If you can do it without sinning against God, you do what he says. And, and so you go to work Every day, when you get up and you go to work, you don't go to work for your company or your boss, you go to work for the Lord. And I understand you work for the company, but you get what I'm saying? You're going in and living there for the Lord. You know, if, if you are single and, you know, you're, you're looking at your life and you're thinking about, you know, should I get married? Will I ever get married? Or whatever's going on. It, what you want to do is say, I'm living my life for the Lord. And if he leads me, say, to get married and I have that option, I'm going to do it. If he doesn't, I won't. Right? Jesus is Lord of my life. If you're married, your spouse is not God. Your spouse is not the Lord. And neither are you. And so, but in this marriage relationship, I have to go and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so, I, what do you want me to do, Lord? And i got to learn and and let him change my heart and my mind and, and because he's Lord. You know, in, in our friendships, our hobbies, our passions, our desires, all of our choices and decisions, we need to figure out how do we live out he is Lord. What does that look like in this part of my life? What does it look like in this other part of my life? And really just get serious about it. Because once again, as a Christian, if you're a true follower of Christ, and you're sincerely saved, and life just will be out of sorts whenever you find yourself not living like Jesus is Lord. It just will be. And so this peace has to come in there together. And you do understand that there is coming a day when this will be absolutely clear to us and to every human being. Revelation talks about it in chapter 19 when Jesus returns. It says he's going to have the name King of Kings and what? Lord of Lords. That's right. And, and um, Paul talks about it going like this. He says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Life Source Church is the best church there ever was. No, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you and I need to settle this now. How much better will it be for us if we settle this now and live like this more and more and more? And when we fail, we are works in progress. Anybody notice? Just follow me around. We are works in progress. And so we're going to succeed and we're going to fail. When we fail, we go, God, I'm sorry. I, I, what am I doing? It's, 
That isn't right. I don't want to live. I want to live your way. And, and you know, he's forgiven us and cleaned us up and helped us go. And we've got to keep working at it. Keep trying, uh, growing, and hopefully getting better and better at it. But let me encourage you, you've got to settle it one way or another. And so if you've never made that big once and for all decision, now's the time to do it. Maybe you just need to reaffirm that decision because you've already made it. Or maybe you just need to look, boy, real practically in my life, what do I need to do? But let's do this. We're going to, I want you to sing with me. <clears throat> How do we know he's Lord? Because he is what? Risen. He's risen from the dead. Some of you know this chorus. Others of you will be new to you. But let's just sing through it. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Every Let's sing it personally to him, okay? You are Lord, you are Lord, you are risen from the dead, and you are Lord. Every Father, we do come to you today and confess that your Son is Lord. We agree with that. We want to declare that. We um, want to live it, Lord. And we desperately need your help to do that. So I pray wherever each of us are at today with this issue, Lord, we would take that next step, make that decision to live consistently with the truth that you are Lord in every practical way in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.